This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. You need to, know, you need to know what's happening. It's 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 time to get in the huddle with Carl Dukes and Jason Lacanfora. Welcome back to another edition of In the Huddle. Carl Dukes put him up along with my man Jason Lacanfora. Guys, of course, Brian Baldinger on this podcast as well. The season is over. We're talking about week 18 in the National Football League. But before we get to all the stuff that happened, including firing of coaches, the playoffs and what it might look like and and what we think, congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. I got to put that out there. I am in the ATL. And guys, uh, they are kings of college football. We're excited. There'll be another parade in Athens and all of that stuff. But uh, Jason, an incredible performance last night, man. As we tape this podcast on Tuesdays, Last night was the national championship game. TC was just overmatched. And yeah. uh, got to give some love to Kirby and company. All those guys, Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator, yes. Stetson Bennett, everybody, man. It's been it's been a fun ride for us who cover this team and watch the Georgia Bulldogs. I, I told my daughter last night, just real quick, before we get to some NFL stuff, and if you guys are college football fans, you guys understand this, there are ebbs and flows, right? Teams are good at times, and they might be bad for a decade. <clears throat> And I was telling her for a long time, the narrative was that Georgia just couldn't get over the hump. They weren't, yep. weren't able to win the big game. And it's just completely changed now. And, and everybody thinks that this is start the start of potential dynasty. Guys, they're already favored to win it next year. And, you know, they put 15 guys in the NFL last year, Jason. So Crazy. I just want to give a big shout out to the dogs, man. And congratulations. It was a great college yeah. football season, but incredible performance last night. Yeah, I mean, that you don't see – 60 burgers in national title games. And I mean, they, TC, you got the early seven and you're thinking, well, maybe they can at least keep the pace a little bit. And no, boy, that tight end, man, oh man. Brock Bowers is going to make a lot of money. He's going to make a lot of money. He could have came out. Where the quarterback goes, you know, like he has his limitations, but. You're right. Like, could he have a Chase Daniel-like career with maybe a few higher highs? Like. You can make a lot of money, win a lot of games, have a lot of fun, um, have yourself a hell of a career, and maybe that's way too low of a comp for him. I don't, I don't want to, um, I, I don't want to sell the young man short before he's had a chance to do it. But he certainly proved a lot of people wrong, and uh, yeah, Kirby's building a monster there. I've got family in Athens. In fact, my brother-in-law, Tim. Uh, the travel baseball team that he coaches Kirby's sons on. So he, oh, wow. he knows that family pretty well. Uh, yeah. You know, and weekends traveling all over Georgia, playing at tournaments and all that stuff. So, yeah, we've got a lot of affinity for them. We're, we're dogs fans up here because, again, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law uh, both went to Georgia and then post-grad Georgia. My brother Tim was actually a lawyer for the school for a while, and they own a restaurant um, right right sort of on campus there so we love visiting my, my wife and kids were just down there um 
right after Christmas. So go dogs. Go dogs. All right, guys, let's talk some football. We're talking NFL football. I got to give some credit. And I do this a lot with Jason because Jason's right a lot. And I want to start with the shocking development. It really wasn't. We we both said Cliff Kingsbury was on the hot seat. But the part about Steve Kime stepping away, when you said, listen, if they really want to make change and they want to want to move forward, they got to cut the cord. Yeah. And for weeks on this, this podcast, you said, I don't think they're going to do it. What made him step away? What do you think this was? Because well, I expected no, Kingsbury I mean, to be fired, but I don't I, expect Steve Kime to step away. I wasn't sure Bidwell would fire his boy because that had become more than just the typical owner GM um, relationship. But when he, when he stepped away from the team and said he was on a medical leave, I, that was the end. I mean, I, I was writing about it then talking about it then like he wasn't, there was no way he was coming back. There was no way he's going to eventually come out of treatment or whatever and, and hire a head coach. No, that was going to be a settlement that was going to go straight to the lawyers and they got that done. And I don't think you'll see Steve Kine, um certainly never. I don't even see him as a GM again. You know, he's got some boys in the league, Jason Light, somebody like that. Could he, could he turn up somewhere in a lesser role? I guess it's possible, but I don't think anything is like that imminent. Um, and he's got uh, some things to tend to uh, away from football. Um, and there's obviously an interesting lawsuit out there um, by one of the uh, – Cardinals former coaches as well and we'll see we'll see where that goes so yeah ask them to sort of rank these jobs and there wasn't uniformity um among everybody's answers but they all agreed that Arizona was the worst job even worse than than the Colts job which is a close second because of this Kyler Murray situation and the injury and you putting in a new system and you having to kowtow to him to a certain degree, and the owner misguidedly, and this all goes on the owners. I mean, these owners are the problem in these in these franchises that continue to not be able to get out of their own way. When you come out and the first thing you signal is that Kyler Murray is going to have some say in this, that's ridiculous. Kyler Murray's done nothing to prove he's even a, a bona fide NFL starting quarterback, let alone someone who should be influencing coaching decisions. So you're walking into a hornet's nest where it's clear the owner's not getting rid of the quarterback because – he just paid him, and he couldn't trade him for anything if he wanted to. So you got to go there with a bad roster, not a great cap situation. You don't have any cachet of draft picks like a lot of these other jobs come with. Um, you got bad ownership. Uh, I mean, you've got no culture of winning there. The Bidwells have never been associated with winning. Um, you know, they've been associated with keeping, you know, holding fan bases hostage and moving franchises around and and being super cheap. They don't have any reputation for winning. That's a tough gig. I, I, I mean, someone will take it. Um, you know, I half jokingly wrote, "Why don't they go get Lincoln Riley?" <laughs> I was three quarters joking, but not all the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, Carl. That's a that is an ugly situation. You don't have players. You don't have picks. The quarterback is overpaid and over sort of um, entitled by ownership in terms of um, his, of his standing and, and what it should be versus what it is. They're not winning anytime soon. There's no quick turnaround there. Um, that's a bad, that's a bad scene. There are five jobs as we speak available. That is one of them. And Jason says it's the worst one. And I have to agree. I was debating this yesterday when, you know, guys were getting let go and I'm going, all right, where's the Colts job? And you're right. Just because of what Ursay has done, you know, but, 
the problem with the Cardinals, as you mentioned, is you've got to get the coach who's going to be willing to work with Kyler Murray in a way that they connect. And I don't know if that's possible. And I'm just going to say this, and, and we'll see where this goes. Murray, from the folks that I've talked to around the Cardinals organization, and I've known Cliff Kingsbury. I told this story on this podcast. I saw Cliff Kingsbury in high school. Okay, His dad was his high school coach, New Braunfels, Texas. Uh, I was a young guy just starting the business. I went to see him play. He goes to Texas Tech. I follow his career. We've been in contact over the years as, as his career has grown. I didn't think Cliff deserved this opportunity to begin with. I didn't yeah. think he deserved to be an NFL head coach, having never won anything at Texas Tech. Yeah. With that said, he gets the offer. He takes it. He'd be an idiot not to. Sure. But who in their right mind is going to come in and say, Kyler, this is your system. This is what you want to do. This is what – that is not how you win in the NFL. And I, I just believe whoever this is going to be is going to run into another problem because Kyler Murray, and this is what I was going to say, is not a great communicator. He's just not, guys. This is part of the issue of what's been going on in, 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 in uh, Arizona. He's not one of these guys. He's cool, but he's reserved and he's to himself. And as a quarterback in the NFL, you can't be that. You have to be, at times, a great communicator, especially in those moments where your team needs you. And you got to be able to, to work with people. And Kyler, is he's not that guy. And it's not that makes him a bad guy. It just makes it more difficult for him to have these relationships, Jason, with the people that are going to help make him successful. That is my debate about Kyler Murray. And that's why I wouldn't have paid him. That has nothing to do with anything else about the contract. It's more about show me more about the things we're concerned about. Either way, I agree. And they are in a, a, a heap of mess right now when we talk about Arizona. I want to talk about the Texans. It's Carl Dukes. It's Jason Lock on four. It's in the huddle, guys. Tuesday, Thursday, we put out new episodes. We're in the playoffs, guys. This is all about now moving forward, but we're talking about what transpired week 18 and what happened over the last couple of days with coaches being fired. It's despicable what the Texans are doing. Yep. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. David Culley was a sham hire, and it was completely awful. And, and for those who don't know, David Culley was in the league 27 years before he got this offer. 27. There was no way the Texans had any intentions of keeping him. We're going back two seasons ago, guys. Lovey Smith is on the staff. Lovey then gets the job this last offseason. Both were only given a year. Both were fired. Both were African-American coaches. And this to me, Jason, and I don't know where you are at on this, because I could I could go in on this on so many ways. Oh, yeah. But Nick Casario, who's the general manager there, is crap. Yeah. And the way he's handled these situations, 
what he's done, the culture that he's built, which is, yes, we're encouraging African-American coaches to apply and we want to have one. And we and then you do what you're doing is just despicable. And it's disgusting to me that the league is sitting back and not saying anything Yeah, because the league is all about diversity and we want to give these mm-hmm. guys opportunities. And blah, right. blah, blah, blah. So I saw the Texans that came down yesterday, firing of Lovey Smith. And I just kind of shook my head. Now that, that organization has been a mess, but where are you at on this with Lovey Smith? I don't think he was the long-term answer, but a year, one season, this is bullshit. It is. Um, and look, Nick Casario should have been fired because owners don't fire themselves, you know, and Cal McNair, who's a, who's proven to be a feckless leader, who's proven to be inept, who's proven to that, that he can't do anything to distinguish himself, but does much to, um, make that franchise look like the scourge that it is. He won't fire himself. He should have fired Casario along with this. Um, now you're going to let Nick Casario be a part of a third hire after treating two, well-respected African-American coaches as if they were just completely um, disposable one-year placeholders. Uh, It's shameful. It's shameless. Uh, Cal McNair, for me, and I wrote this in the Washington Post, is the face, the human embodiment of the league's uh, crisis in terms of diversity and inclusion. His daddy was caught saying uh, racist stuff on tape and – he has doubled down on that with how he's handled these last two coaching hires. It falls on Casario, sure, but it falls mostly um, on the owner. Nick Casario is not sitting in those ownership meetings where it's only one person, one representative per team, and the league is betting, you know, begging and pleading for these guys um, to to be more forthright and be more. Um, equitable in how they handle these situations and they've wanted Josh McCowan for two years. Mm. They have, they couldn't bring themselves to do it. So when they got into situations where they couldn't quite make that happen, they they have again gone, got these coaches knowing we're not going to give them any players. We don't want to win. Everybody in the league knew that Lovey by the middle of the season was going to be fired and Lovey knew as well. And Lovey gave them the ultimate middle finger might drop on the way out <laughs> by did. playing that game to the hilt, messing up their plan and finding a way to beat the hapless feckless Colts to ensure the Texans won't get the first overall pick. Um, that's the state of affairs in the NFL. They can have all their meetings. They can have all their summits. They can have all their diversity conferences. They can't make billionaires do what they don't want to do. And a lot of these billionaires are not inclined to hire people who don't look like them. And until we get more diversity at the top in terms of who owns these teams, nothing's going to change. I am completely convinced of it. You, The bottom-up stuff won't work. These people won't hire anybody they don't want to hire for whatever reason. And clearly, there are major biases going on. Just look at the hiring records. Nothing will change until more people with different backgrounds, different experiences, and different shades of their skin begin to be put in true power positions in the NFL. That is team presidents and that is owners. As far as the first overall pick, the Texans haven't done crap with the picks they've had anyway. It doesn't matter whether or not they're getting the first or the second pick. 
They've been inept when it comes to picking the right players to begin with. And we need to say this. The Deshaun Watson situation and this are separate. This has nothing to do with Deshaun Watson and his screw-ups and what happened. This is about the organization, how it's run, the front office, the executives, the approach, what they do on a day-to-day basis and how they treat people. Deshaun Watson screwed up and he's paid the price for it. That has nothing to do with this. You can't lump those in and say, oh, Deshaun has nothing to do with it. This is all about what Jason just laid out. We'll see what happens with the Texans, where they go, and what ultimately happens. But to your point, they right now, because of that win, have the second pick. The Bears get the first pick. It's in the huddle. All right, uh, Broncos, Colts, Panthers. Those are the other jobs available. I think the big question is where Sean Payton go, right? Does he, he gets to pick his job. Everybody's linking him to the Broncos because they got permission, and there's compensation apparently already worked out. If I'm Sean Payton, I want to go somewhere, Jason, where I have an established quarterback. I don't want to go somewhere where I'm drafting a quarterback and then have to go through those rookie woes of maybe the first couple of seasons. But then you look at a guy like uh, Trevor Lawrence, right? Two seasons in now, he's in the playoffs. I don't know if that's the deciding factor, but two things. Where does Sean Payton end up and then those jobs? Broncos, Colts, Panthers, is there best to worst, worst to first? Where where, are you at? Well, look, I don't know that Andy's a perfect fit. Um, people close to Sean who I've known a long time and I've known Sean a long time. I think I've got a pretty decent portal into what makes him tick and what, how he assesses things. None of these will check every box. And there is the possibility that he stays in broadcasting for another year. Um, I'll say this, there will be other shoes that drop. I continue to hear a lot of chatter amongst executives and agents if the Cowboys, Chargers, Dolphins don't show a little something this weekend, um, at least one of them, I, I fully believe, will make a change. And it very let, well could be more than one. Let me ask you something real quick while you brought up the Dolphins, because I know these rumors are out there. Um, let me understand this. Mike McDaniel gets the job. He's one year in. His quarterback has been injured. They mm-hmm. make the playoffs. Why are you willing to make a change with Mike McDaniel? Is it just well, – what's the reasoning behind that? Because I've heard that rumor, and I'm like, whoa. The reasoning behind it is you get Tom Brady and you get Sean Payton. As a package a Super Bowl. They have the As same agent. Deal. Okay. Look, they've already lost the first-round pick by tampering, trying to get these guys. So if you're Steve Ross and you're 85 years old, and now the roster looks really good, right – and Tua's in a very um, unfortunate situation where no matter what, it's a murky offseason. You, you, you have to weigh, and he has to weigh, as we've talked about at length on this podcast, the pros and cons about moving forward with him as a starting NFL quarterback. So if you're able now to go and get those two, and they're both free agents, and, yeah, you'll have to make a trade for Sean um, – but Mickey Loomis, you know, the, the president of the Saints, he's more inclined to trade him to the AFC than the NFC anyway. True. So, you know, and and you're trading future picks, but, you you know, you're already all in with these two wide receivers and, you know, everything that's been put in place. You know, you go out there, you spend money to keep beefing up the defense. And, I mean, Tom Brady with those weapons around him, I mean, it worked immediately in Tampa Bay. So I think Stephen Ross is looking there saying, you know, I rebuilt this stadium so that we could host Super Bowls. Everything I've tried hasn't worked. 
you know, he he he's had his shame share fair of shameful interaction. You got the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit, right? You've got some of the Flores allegations about he paid me to lose games. You've got the league investigation stripping you of a first round pick because you did tamper with a coach and the GM. And now the bottom falls out in the second half. Is it all Mike McDaniel's fault? Absolutely not. But like, you know, the offense fell apart. They've had bad luck. There was an opening to win that division. They barely got in the playoffs. Skyler Thompson, I don't think they have much of a chance against Buffalo. Like, if they get completely embarrassed and you have a chance to try to win for a year or two with Tom Brady and let Sean Payton start developing the next guy on the fly. You got to do it. Yeah. And listen, I I get that. And I understand why Stephen Ross would do it. Uh, But that is one of those that people go, wait a minute, McDaniel, he's not done a terrible job. But the circumstances of getting that package deal is very attractive uh, to, to the Dolphins. Broncos, Colts, Panthers, guys, we'll see where that goes. Mike Tomlin, got to mention it, 16 Stallion. years. Stud. He hasn't had a losing season, and they win the last week of the season. Now, they don't go to the playoffs, but it's just remarkable. And you say, okay, fine. But at the end of the day, we talked about it. Uh, just incredible, man. Absolutely yeah. incredible. He he is an absolute um... – He's an iconic coach in the history of this league. He just is. Uh, and, and look, you look at the AFC since he's been in it. I mean, you had Peyton Manning, right? You had Tom Brady, which became – we'll never see anything like that in the salary cap era ever again, right? He's up against that. Then he's up against Peyton Manning 2.0 with Denver and Von Miller, right? Now they're – He's along for the ride, but my God, look at that defense. Like you, you, and then you look now at what Mahomes looks like he's going to be. You know what I mean? And what Josh Allen is. Allen, yeah. These kids are 25, 26. Burrow. And, you know, and Tomlin's had his share of bad injury luck. And let's face it, if they didn't do that last contract extension with Big Ben, they'd have moved off of him a couple. Like he was dragging them down the last two years. And you still find a way to do – you still find a way to be playing games at the end of the year every season that matter. And more often than not in the playoffs, it's it's pretty amazing, man. It's pretty amazing. And at two and six, there were a lot of people throwing dirt on a lot of people in Pittsburgh. And, again, we said it before, I hope you got your kidney shots and body blows in on the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> and Mike Tomlin by around the middle of November – because that, that was your window. Your window was training camp till November. Um, they're not down any longer. We got to give an update, guys, on DeMar Hamlin. If you haven't heard, back in Buffalo, was transported from the hospital in Cincinnati. It's just unbelievable. I told my wife last night, and she was like, a week ago where he was, and now to be transported and start this recovery and rehab. And we're not talking about football. This is just human no. stuff, right? Just can he be a guy that can get around and have a normal life? And then we'll talk about the football stuff down the road. But I got to tell you, the biggest I, – I, not the biggest, but the most uh, – it gave me chills, Jason. This kickoff return to start the game for the Bills. Crazy, huh? I uh, I happened to be doing a, a game locally, and so I had, you know, I was at a game, a basketball game, and, and I was watching this on my phone. I literally had it on my phone. And I, I was just sitting there shaking my head in amazement. But I want to know how you felt about it, because 
you know, everybody was saying this was just like the perfect thing that could have happened to start this game. Bills eliminate the Patriots, guys. But to start the game, the Bills get the kickoff. They take it 100-plus to the house. And I would have loved to have been in Buffalo for that moment. You know, just being in the stadium to feel that energy and to know DeMar Hamlin was watching and he had posted before, you know, hey, let's go. And and just, man, I don't even know if there are words to describe what happened there. Yeah, I mean, sports moves in very mysterious ways sometimes. And there have certainly been instances where it looks like something's going on here. That's not just about football or just about, you know, baseball or, or whatever um, form that this has taken place. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just so happy for that young man um, and for the world that he's kind of reconnecting with on the other side of this post, you know, being put under post breathing tube and all that um, to see how everyone is rallied and galvanized around him and to see his teammates, you know, really sort of embody his spirit. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that look, that wasn't the Patriot. That wasn't the bills a game. You know, that was a struggle. It looked lopsided at the end, but it took special team stuff. It took Mac Jones helping him out a little bit. Um, That was not the sort of offensive flow we've come to expect from them. But they won the game. They ended up winning, you know, somewhat handily. Uh, and now they can sort of return to more normalcy, a normal work week. You know, you're not wondering about this or that. Tiebreakers, are we playing this? Are we playing that? Are there coin flips here? Is there this and that? Um, you know, it, it's not about trying to be by teammate's side in a hospital room. It's about trying to do your best in, in a normal week of practice every week to, to go out and start what they hope will be a Super Bowl run. How did the Titans not fire Mike Vrabel? You lost seven straight. I know the GM's gone. I'm just asking the question. If this was anybody else who had run off and lost seven straight to end the season, we'd be talking about them being got. Well, I think he's been the little engine that could. Um, you know, he he didn't have a quarterback. I mean, they're playing Josh Dobbs. I mean, he's starting games. He just got there. Uh you know, how much say did he have in Malik Willis? I don't think he was super meddling. You know, I think John Robinson had a lot of carte blanche in the personnel side. And, you know, that owner, again, that's an owner. She likes to talk tough um, to the certain people and play things a certain way. But she didn't want to pay A.J. Brown. You know what no, I mean? Like, who no. are they? Like, go look at their payroll. Like, she wants and a $2 billion stadium, right? She wants her corporate handout like they all do. Yeah. She wants all that, but – has that team ever been spending top ten in the league in payroll? I mean, what like, you know, are they gonna are they gonna pay Jeffrey Simmons like Chris Jones? Like, I, I don't know. I, I they should. He's I a bet against it. Like, yeah. I I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I. So you know, what were they supposed to be like? And when they're sitting there and they're beating Green Bay, who we thought was still Green Bay at that time. You know, and they're taking the the Chiefs to the limit again in overtime with Malik Willis at quarterback. That's are, are they doing that for any coach? You know, so I, I, I mean, I think he he's the seven looks bad because of what him having them in the one seat again somehow in like late October, early November. But right. why were they there? Were they there because of the roster? You know, Tannehill's at the end. Like those are ownership things. Like. You could have realized your window was over last year, traded Tannehill, traded Derrick Henry, you know what I mean, taking a quarterback higher than the third round with someone maybe who played 
not at Liberty, but maybe in the SEC or something, you know what I mean? Where they're, where you'd think the learning curve might be um, a little faster, but none of that happened. So you knew that Todd Downing, you know, look, Todd Downing should have been fired after the DUI, but, you know, they kept him around through the season, but you knew there something was going to change on offense. They're probably going to have to go get a quarterback now, but like whoever that next GM is, like what's the purse strings look like from ownership? Like, are they, are they fully committed to putting a Super Bowl team on the on the field, or are they fully committed to maximizing profits and getting everything we can out of the public sector to build us a football palace? You decide. It's a great point, and I like Mike Vrabel. I think you're right. I think he's done more with less, and I think he gets more out of guys. He's shown he can coach. He He's got it. I, there's no doubt. But this year, with seven losses, that's what people are talking about. All right, Jason, let's talk about uh, – some of the things that are going on um, as far as <laughs> Geno Smith, what do you do if you're Seattle? He got $2 million for making the playoffs. That's part of his bonus structure. Um, and, and congrats to Geno. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a thing, but are you willing to invest in him long-term before we talk about some of the games we're going to see on Saturday, wild card Saturday and Sunday, and then the Monday night game with, with the, the, the uh, Cowboys and the Buccaneers, Geno, I, I don't know if I can pay him long-term. I'm not sold. I know he had a good year. Yeah. I was doing some work on him last night. So he's got seven interceptions in his last seven games. Mm. Two multi-interception games in that span. Gino, weeks one through ten, 73% completions, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions, 108 quarterback rating. They have the week 11 bye. Gino since the bye. And this is when now there's playoff expectations, right? I mean, people right. weren't talking about Seattle backing in. People were talking about could Seattle keep, compete with San Francisco? Could see, you know, since the bye, 66% completion, 13 touchdowns to seven interceptions. So it was 17 to four, 13 to seven, 92.1 rating. When you pressure Geno Smith, his QB rating is 79.1, right? And that's oh. kind of like one of the, for me, the delineations of like, Who's really got it and who doesn't? You know, when the chips are down, yeah. can you keep this drive going? Can you sustain things? Can you keep us in the game? Now, look, Pete Carroll's – I don't think Pete Carroll's getting off of Geno Smith. I think he loves the fact that this has worked for them and that they're in the playoffs. Um, I think you can have your cake and eat it too. I think you can sign him to a three-year deal. That's really at most a two-year deal. It's a five-year deal on paper with two voidable years. The third year's not real. The second year is quasi real. Maybe you've, you've guaranteed him eight or 10 million that year. So, you know, real high end backup number money in case the kid's not, not ready. And you front load the first year because they're not paying a whole lot of people there. Right. And you go and use the pick on the quarterback. I think it's a great idea. And, and, and I, think, I think that's what's going to happen because Pete's not going to go to the kid right away. No. Like, it's not, this isn't Russell Wilson 2.0. Um, he's going to want, you know, in place. Let's get that done, and then we can bring this kid along at our pace. But they've got to draft the quarterback. Yeah, and and the, the the contract, you're absolutely right. With the way things are done now, you can get out of that after two seasons if you want with minimal risk. Um, Seahawks, by the way, guys, at the 49ers, that's the first game on Saturday, 4.30 on Fox. Then you got the Chargers in Jacksonville. And I just want to talk about Trevor Lawrence and this Jacksonville Jaguars. I think they're dangerous now. The Chargers and Herbert, this is like the two young guns, right, that we're, we may see yeah. playing, uh, and we, we may see this for the next five or six years potentially in the playoffs in some way, shape, or form. 
But I think the Jags are dangerous. And, and I said this the other day, and a guy was like, oh, you're, you know, they're lucky. And I'm like, you're not watching what's going on with the Jaguars. You're not giving them credit. Now, I do have my reservations about defensively what they are. Yeah. And at times, you know, even offensively. But I think they, they could sneak up on somebody. If they win this game against the Chargers, it wouldn't surprise me, Jason. Yeah, I mean, this game is a toss-up for me. Both quarterbacks, no playoff experience. Now, when you get in situations where it's a quarterback with no experience versus one who's been there, done that, the one who's been there, done that, she's going to win that game. But this is, you know, the debut for both of them. Um, I thought the nerves and the butterflies showed last week. Now, yep. yep. have they exhausted that now? Like they've gotten that out of their system and they can cut loose and play free and easy? We'll see. But Doug Peterson – who rose to prominence in Philadelphia by being, you know, swashbuckling and aggressive and Philly special and all that. I mean, he doesn't go for the early fourth and one where I thought he really had a chance to establish something. He keeps running the ball on early downs when that's a road to nowhere. Like, they were not going to run. Nobody runs on the Titans. This group definitely wasn't running on the Titans. I don't know why he didn't lean into early down play action. It looked like he was maybe babying the quarterback a little bit. And I think maybe the quarterback responded to that poorly because he didn't have his best game. I mean, he missed open guys. Yeah. His downfield ball accuracy was not what it normal was. His decision-making wasn't what it normally was. Um, they had a path to, to win that game rather handily and score 27 30, or 30 points, and they didn't get close to that against a bottom three pass defense. I think there was nerves. I think there was newness. I think that felt like their first playoff game. And you know what? There's not about nothing about style points when you get into do or die situations. So um, I'm just interested to see how they respond to that. And if that's something that's still contagious or if that's something they got out of their system. Let's talk about the and Brandon Stanley, man. I don't know. Like, what is he doing playing Justin Herbert in the deep Fourth. third quarter of that game? Yes. Why yes, is yes. Bosa in that game at all? Mike Williams and his injury history. Why is he in that game against Denver with nothing at stake? You literally knew you were locked into that seed when Baltimore had already lost. And Baltimore didn't play anybody. You know yeah. why? It didn't make sense. They pulled everybody they could possibly pull, except for Ronnie Stanley, who they shouldn't have played either. But, like, I, that baffles me. So I don't know about Brandon Stanley in that spot either. You know, like, I, I have major reservations uh, about that. Um, it's an interesting game. But whoever survives, I think, is, is to your point, dangerous. Let's talk about the Cowboys real quick. And then I do want to oh, ask you about oh. Lamar. Uh, <laughs> Commanders 26-6. Uh, Dak did not look good. And we've been talking about He this. looked awful. Going into this Tampa game, it's a Monday night game, guys. So you get three games on Sunday, then you get the Monday night game. That's wild card weekend. How can you not like Tom Brady and the Bucks with the way we've seen the Cowboys here the last few weeks? Yeah. I know everybody keeps thinking that it's just going to click. Like they're going to go out and boom, they're going to have six turnovers and a touchdown return. and. They haven't played well. They no. haven't played well. And this is when Mike McCarthy gets tight. This yes. is when he starts saying, I sense my team being nervous like he did yes. last year. I'm concerned for the Cowboys. And I said on this podcast, they've got everything to go to the Super Bowl. Why do they look like crap? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have – there's not a good vibe there. I mean – and this – this the interception thing now, I think, is mental for Dak. Like, mm. it's, it's beyond – like a, your accuracy a little off or like you saw him throw that out route and it gets jumped and it's damn near pick six and he goes right back there and then throws the pick six to the same spot like that's 
that's sports psychology stuff. Like that's not Tom House kinesiology, release point, shoulder <laughs> balance, footwork, right? Yeah. Th- this is like, like it's he's got this thing wired in his head now, like to force it, force it, force it. Nah, I don't have a good vibe at all about them. And the defense has really slipped second half of the season as well. Um, yeah, I don't know that they can turn it on. I, I don't know that that's the kind of team. Um, if anything, they the, the reputation for the Cowboys the last 20 years is they come up small when it matters most. I don't know that this is the year that they reverse that, especially coming off these performances down the stretch where they've been getting the snot beat out of them for long sequences of, of games. I mean, even that Jacksonville game, like you can you can sequence a bunch of games recently where you're like, I don't like that body language. I don't like what I saw there. I don't like how they're handling this and that. Um, and look, this is a factor. People can say it's not. People can say I'm only focused on my job. When you've got both coordinators – Sorting out what's my interview? No, they've got agents to do all this. I'm not focused on that. Bullshit. You make a whole lot more money being a head coach. You 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 get a whole lot more power. Like they're they're not in this to be coordinators. You know, and Dan Quinn's been to a Super Bowl and blown it. You think he wants that to be the lasting sort of stigma of Dan Quinn, NFL head coach? So, like it, I'm sorry, there's only so many hours in the day, and there's only so many ways your mind works, and these are human beings. And when you're simultaneously coaching for your team, but also, you know, all these owners are obsessing over these games and coaching for your reputation for sure. in terms of how these interviews are going to play out and who gets what job and who gets to interview first and, you know, all the Byzantine rules wow. of the NFL that, that regulate this stuff. And it gets more complicated by the year. Like, I do think on some level that's a factor. And if you go back over the years and look at teams playing in the first round of the playoffs, who have multiple coordinators who were sort of up for these jobs, it often doesn't play well, out well. very well for them. It doesn't. Does Lamar play? Last thing, does the Lamar play? I mean, as we sit right here on Tuesday morning, I think it's more likely than not he does not play. Um, you know, they don't know. He doesn't know. Uh, Wednesday, you know, if he goes out there and throws the ball around at least a little bit on Wednesday for the first time in basically six weeks, then it's a it's at least a conversation. If he doesn't practice limited Wednesday, there's no way in hell he's playing this football. How how does he not play, Jason? It's he's the playoffs. It's, I don't, the, it's the playoffs. I don't know. I mean, I look for all the different if if you're counting on certain sources of information for your Lamar information, just look at their track record. Because none of the ones who tried to get out ahead of this have been right about anything. So either they're extrapolating or they're talking to the wrong people who keep steering them in a certain direction because they're sending messages to the kid through the media. But, like, you find the trustworthy source on this. So, And I'm just telling you, if you sat down with John Harbaugh right now and had a coffee with him and gave him truth serum, I think he would say it's going to come down to how he feels and what the trainers think he can do on Friday. And what this work week looks like. I mean, he hasn't been on a football field. It's not like he's not practicing, but he's out there on the sidelines throwing a 100 balls on the side. He's not doing anything. Okay, the level that it takes for you to list somebody as practice limited in this league is really low. He's not been listed there since six weeks ago before he got hurt. 
where he was showing up limited all the time because he was dealing with a lot of stuff before this knee injury. So just because somebody told you six weeks ago that it's a one to three week injury, that person probably doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. But there were people in that organization who wanted you to think it's a one to three week injury for whatever reason. But like, I don't know. And here's the other thing. A Lamar Jackson in that offense with the season on the line is going to have to default to running because they have no wide receivers. Mm. Um, and they're a run-based team. This isn't like Phillip Rivers with no ACL, you know, five-step drops from the pocket for the San Diego Chargers, zinging it down the field. Lamar Jackson with a brace on in that offense, what are you getting? What is that like? He's He has to be explosive outside of the pocket. For them to, to for the whole Lamar thing to work, so putting a brace on him is different than putting a brace on Philip Rivers or Eli Manning or whatever. Like you're curtailing your own offense, and yeah, there's the future where they've got themselves as an organization into a, a right where everybody who's watched this closely thought they would. Something's going to happen late in the year, and and there's going to be all this palace intrigue about will he play or won't he play because he has no future guarantees, and the guy who decides what he makes. Hasn't talked but once in about five years. And when he did, he said, eh, I don't think he's worthy of my money. He doesn't think he's worthy of my money. And I'm not paying him what he thinks he's worth until he wins me a Super Bowl. That's what the owner said. So that's all part of this. So does he have to make a little bit of a business decision? Sure. But there's also a medical component of it. There's a rust component of it. And it's the uniqueness of that offense component of it. And it may come down to a fully healthy Anthony Brown versus a, a beat-up Tyler Huntley who was playing poorly, and he's got tendonitis in his shoulder. Like, it could be Anthony Brown again. If, frankly, for me, if he came down to Brown taking all the reps this week or Huntley barely practicing, I'm going with Anthony Brown. They have no shot. They, they just – I mean, listen, I'm, I'm looking at this game and I'm going, what makes me believe – because we just saw it Sunday – that they're going to go back to Cincinnati – and play better. Now they may play better, but I just no Lamar. They're the not defense this played game. lights out. The defense played. I mean, they they. I think they do have this new coordinator, Mike McDonald. I, I think he's got a little bit of a special sauce. Now we've seen it twice. How to hold the Bengals' offense in check? Um, you know, the Bengals got gifted seventeen points early by the three turnovers from the Ravens. Ravens, that's all happened in the first 15 minutes. That's right. The, the next 45 minutes of the game, the Ravens beat them 16-10, despite more turnovers and bizarre coaching decisions. They hold the Bengals to 111 yards on 37 plays, 3.08 yards per play over the final three quarters of that game. Like, and no big the plays. Game was I mean, the biggest the play was a five-yard check down to Joe Mixon that he took for 30, you know, for a 33-yard game. But air yardage plays, you know, there was the 26-yard jump ball to chase for a touchdown. Worley fell down. Worley had a hell of a game. Um, but there weren't they weren't really pumping it downfield much. So, I don't look, that was a weird game. Game plans can change. You know, it was. it was a weird game for both teams. Uh, the Bengals are definitely the better team, no doubt about it. But the Ravens' defense has given them all they can handle twice now this season. Can't wait, man. Wildcard weekend. Guys, subscribe Tuesday and Thursdays. We put out new episodes. Jason LaConfora. Follow him, Brian Baldinger, as well, a part of his podcast. And I'm Carl Dukes. We appreciate you being here. We're going to be talking about the playoffs. We're going to be looking ahead. We're going to be breaking down everything. We'll be talking about the coaching hires, taking you inside of organizations. For a lot of teams, the offseason has started already. And for oh, yeah. the teams that are in the playoffs, 
It's all about how do we find a way to win, survive, and advance. The great Jim Balvano. Same thing applies in the NFL, guys. It doesn't matter how you win. You just got to advance and keep moving. And some of these teams that you don't think are any good or they shouldn't be there will shock somebody this weekend, and they're going to be moving on. That's the beauty of the NFL. Jason, man, great job as always. Follow Jason on social media. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Brian Baldinger will be here. We'll break down the games coming up this weekend. Jason, take care, and you guys have a great day.